Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Well, hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio. This is show number 426 and today's show is entitled The Future of Engagement in a Decade Gone Wild. So um, I'm really looking forward to exploring that topic uh, with this week's guest, uh, more about him in a moment. Um, but first of all, for those who may be first time listeners uh, or may not be too clear about who Engage for Success are, Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and we're the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We are raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country, as well as our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. Visit our website at engageforsuccess.org where you can learn about more and where you'll also be able to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And um, by way of a plug, and I will do this again at the end of the show, we have one of our Engage for Success events taking place this Friday, Friday the 4th of February. Uh, it's an online virtual event between 10 a.m. and 11.30. And we have a great lineup of guests who are going to be exploring the topic of link between employee engagement and customer engagement, customer satisfaction and loyalty. So do sign up for that if you're interested. You can find details on our website or connect with me on LinkedIn and um, ask me for the info and I'll pass it across to you. I'm Jo Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts and managing director and founder of Woodread. Woodread is a specialist creative agency and we use the tools, the techniques and the insight-led approach of the advertising and marketing world to help our clients create great places to work, high-performing cultures of engaged employees, if you like. And I was just um, commenting with this week's guest that I've been co-hosting the Engage for Success radio show for over eight years now, uh, which is quite hard to believe um, as one of the volunteers for the movement. Um, and I'm very pleased to welcome back today's special guest, uh, Scott Gould. Scott is an engagement consultant and creator of the Engaging Method. And um, we're going to be talking about the future of engagement in a decade gone wild. Um, so yeah, it's good to have Scott back. He's a, a regular guest on the show. Um, lovely to start 2022 uh, with somebody who is a regular and who I know is going to give us a, an engaging 30-minute show ahead. So Scott teaches leaders and organizations how to get to the heart. He's chuckling in the background there. How to unlock the heart of engagement um, and literally wrote the book on how people engage with ideas, things, and each other and how we can follow that pattern. So um, a bit of a bit of a build-up there for you, Scott. Good to have you back. Thank you for, for joining us. Um, so this title uh, the future of engagement in a, in a decade gone wild. Um, tell us a tell us a little bit more um, about what we what you mean by that. Where did that come from? Uh, hello, Joe, and uh, greetings to everyone listening. It's certainly a provocative title, isn't it? It is. I late 2019, I was invited to speak at an event in early 2020 in March mm -hmm. 2020. Uh -huh. And the, the, yes, and, and so I developed a talk that I was going to give called The Engagement Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And it was, about, it was about what I foresaw as fundamental changes in the way that people would be engaging as employees, as employers, as customers, as brands, and so forth. 
and mm -hmm. some of this stuff was um was going to be quite scary and quite transformative mm -hmm. and i was predicting some of these things you know would take place over the course of the decade um of course i think end up giving my talk talk in march uh, in person <laughs> Um, but I did end up giving it online and mm -hmm. it was eerily prophetic because there was certainly this profound sense of um, apocalypse that happened yeah. as a result of COVID. Yeah, um, yeah. There were the four horsemen and, riding in from off stage. Yes, they? they were. They were. Yeah, it was a real um, Terry Pratchett, you know, Pratchett-esque, um, you know, if, if you've seen, um, uh, what was it called again, the, the, that show on Prime. Good, um, good anyway, Omen, was so, it? Good, good Omen, Omen. that's it, yeah, yeah. superb. Yeah. So there's this real sense of, and I think all of us now, two years in, um, we recognise that what we thought was going to happen at the beginning didn't happen. And I think we are beginning to recognise that we might not be able to predict the rest of the decade, but we know the rest of the decade is going to be topsy-turvy. Yeah. Um, I think this will be a decade gone wild. It already is a decade gone wild. And I think most analysts seem to agree that what COVID has done is it's not been a disruptor as much as it's been an accelerator of existing trends. Uh, right. Before COVID, yeah, so before COVID, we were slowly buying more online. We were projected to be around 50% by the end, uh, you know, on, purchases being online by the end of the 20s, what it needed to happening in, in 2020. Yeah. Um, working from home was on a rise. It was projected that maybe by the end of the 20s, we'd be at 30%. Of course, COVID nudged us forward massively on that. Now, it has, there has been retraction, but we are irrefutably, uh, along a path that we're not going to go back on and so we have leapt forward on many things and even though we've 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 shrunk back a bit they have changed our wiring and our thinking and we now have conversations going on that we didn't think would happen so i'll give you a brief example here one of my clients is a city council they had done a really good job of using um laptops to free people from their desks so that there was greater flexibility around some of their work, recognizing that some people weren't in the office all the time or had meetings and various things. And doing this, they were able to reduce some of their office space. But they still had a range of offices around the city that were very expensive. They've been able to get rid of all of them and they're even thinking, you know, they, they might be able to get rid of, who knows, their main one. This mm. is something that we would never have thought of as even yeah. possibly happening. Uh, you know, the idea that we could run meetings virtually and so forth. That's just mm. a small example. The idea it, it, that and it's would one I would, I would, I would, I would endorse um, exactly that ex example you've used there with a from a different sector, um, a, an automotive client, a big global automotive manufacturer had previously utterly resisted any attempts at flexible working or working from home yeah. or you know, yeah. I'm going to work from home on a Friday or and none of it. Um, and, yeah. and, and they have literally shut their global headquarters um, and will yeah. not be re yeah. you know, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, that's um, it, yeah. Um, yeah, well, interesting, it, isn't it? Sorry, go on. Well, it, well, it liberates the mind, doesn't it? So one wonders, what other holy cows are we holding on to? <laughs> yeah. That the, yeah. the, the course of the rest of this decade are going to be stripped. So, so for instance, um, you know, working from home is a massive one. Um, another one has been just th this idea of ordering food 
the way that we mm-hmm. have? What mm-hmm. else are we going to start ordering to be delivered that we would never have thought of? So here's, here's the thing. The history of economic progression, say Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore, in their fabulous book, The Experience Economy, the, 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 the history of economic progression is paying people to what you used to do, to do what you used to do for yourself for free. So there was once upon a time, the idea that a commoner would pay someone to cut their hair was ludicrous. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the idea that we cut our own hair is not just ludicrous. We wonder what backwater you've, you know, shuffled out of. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and all, so we're slipping like this in all these areas. The idea of paying someone to train you in fitness, crazy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. The idea of paying someone to walk your dog, you know, what do you want about? I'll walk my yeah. own dog, thank you very much. Now, yeah. you know, the idea of paying someone to cook you food and bring it to your house is this mm-hmm. gross indulgence, and now it's normal. So one wonders what other things are going to happen. I have uh, not, you know, nothing private. Is it? I've got a, a, a call with my GP on Thursday. They're mm-hmm. going to be phoning me. I asked, could I go in and see them? They said, no, must be a phone call. I mean, mm-hmm. How long have general practitioners been desperate to reduce this flow of people? I had a friend who was investing in the technology for doing it virtually. And he said, we just cannot get people to change their minds and see their GP virtually. Mm-hmm. Now it is the norm. What a fundamental change. Yeah, so one yeah absolutely. I mean, you, you get my point, I think, every list. I do indeed. And I, again, I can, I can echo that from my own personal experience. I literally approached GP on the Friday. By the following Friday, I had not only had the GP consultation, but the referral and the diagnosis by the consultant inside seven days, all mm-hmm. done over the phone and with the app. Yeah. Now, of course, yeah. it doesn't apply. Yeah. It can't apply to everything, but but just think about oh, every every situation. But that must it can in a lot of cases, and that can then free up capacity and 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 you know space for people who for whom that cannot work or who've got situations where that can't that can't be appropriate. So yeah, well, it's well, interesting. Hope... As you say, what other what other sacred cows are waiting to be slain that we don't even know about yet? Well, so this would be my point. And I think this is why the event on Friday is so good, which I'm going to, and I hope everyone will listening will consider it strongly. This event on Friday the 4th mm. about the, 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 the overlap between employee and customer engagement is well borne out. Gallup's work on it in 2007 and Human Signal demonstrated that, you know, um, if you optimize for customer engagement, you outperform others to a factor of 1.7. If you, you, you optimize for employee engagement, it's to a factor of 1.7. But if you optimize for both employee and customer engagement, you outperform to 3.4, maybe up to, I think, 5.2%, uh, a factor of 5.2, 520%. It's huge, right? Absolutely. And the, secret, well, and the secret that lies underneath it, which has been my kind of area of research for years now, has been the mechanisms that drive employee engagement are the same human mechanisms that drive customer engagement, that drive community engagement. Mm. What we're mm. seeing is these, these overlaps are becoming more and more profound. So the yeah. big trend in customer engagement has been platformification, right? Platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of a, an ecosystem of products, digital products that are part of your life and you add more and more. So a great example would be, you know, Apple, a computer company, now makes television programs like in what world did that happen and not only that but they make health devices 
and they're rumored to be releasing a car and they have a credit card, um, what point are, are, are they going to start offering mainstream education? At what point are they going to start offering a current account? At what point are they going to offer you life insurance? I think all mm. of us recognize it's only a matter of time before Amazon offers us life insurance. Mm. Yeah. Uh, same, same with Google and so forth. At what point does my relationship with my employer go through Google? I mean, for and many how people, comfortable, how, how comfortable <laughs> do you think we feel about that, Scott? Oh, well, <laughs> I don't think it's about comfort. It's about inevitability. So, but and, here's, okay. here's the flip side. Right. So the flip side is our workplaces are becoming platforms. The idea 200 years ago that work should pay for you to have a weekend off was ludicrous. Mm. The idea well, you could, you could that work, say that if you work in the States, it should sometimes be that way as well. Well, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, the States in some sense is lagging behind two weeks maternity leave. Yeah. Absolutely r- ridiculous. You know, he, a friend of mine was saying, oh, I'm so lucky. Um, I, 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 my company, we get three months fully paid. Like in the UK, it's nine months statutory, nine months. and yeah. and it's two yeah. two years in Sweden or something, isn't it? So, but but at what point does work become a platform? The idea that work gives you things that do not actually pertain directly to your work, but they pertain to your life. Mm. So this, mm. the, the the idea here is Apple has featureized entertainment. What that means is it's made entertainment a feature of its ecosystem, but not a product of its ecosystem. So when you buy the Apple ecosystem, you're primarily buying a digital device. One of the features is you get your television. So when you go to an employer, what you're signing up for is you pay me and I give you my time and I give you my expertise. Whereas the irony is when we buy a product, it's I pay you and you give me your expertise. But so we've now we now do this, and as a feature of this, you give me time off in these ways, and you give me working from home flexibility, and you give me healthcare. Obviously, that's a big thing in the states. In the UK, mm-hmm. the idea that a company would give you healthcare is, you know, only, only say for kind of upper echelons of secret management, isn't it? So yes. what other things? What other thing? Um, well, actually, we know that many, you know, funky startup companies they featureized social lives. Work for uh, us, and your social life is sorted because you've got loads of really delicious food every evening, so you can stay and work till nine o'clock. You know, there's foot, you know, there's a football table. There's, I mean, you know, all of us have been to these yeah, workplaces, or at least yeah. know of them, that are places that you'd never want to leave. So, what else are they going to featureize? Heck, um, the, there's a um, great, great, great case study in employee engagement. There's a bank in um, states called um, um, Fifth Third. Um, so the idea is it's five thirds bank, so five thirds. Mm-hmm. Of the way. I don't know why it's five thirds, but one of the key, one of the features of their employment is they will help anyone go, um, with adopting children. So as a result, they actually have a lot of homosexual couples who get right. loads and loads of support by them because they're really good at helping people adopt. So they don't necessarily help people with healthy lifestyles, um, whereas some companies might offer free Pilates or whatever. But this huh. company has this really big emphasis on that. So what else is going to be featureized? Dare I say, what else are we going to have to featureize in order to be competitive? That's, that's the scary thing, I think. 
yeah, in order to be competitive, and we're talking about this from the perspective of employee engagement, talent attraction, yeah. talent retention, yeah. in order, what are we going to have to featureize as an employer or as an organization in order to attract the best people, retain yes. the best people, and get the, get the best out of those people? Yes. Yeah? Is that what, so, you, yeah, what you mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... I know people. So it's not altruistic, demand. is it? It's not altruistic, is it, Scott? They're not organisations, employers aren't going to do this just because they they think it's it's nice thing to do for people. They're going to do it because at the end of the day, it, it's survival of they the fittest. Well, I think we can look at that a few different ways. But one hand, yes. Another hand, maybe they finally can do what they always thought an employer should do. Mm. Maybe. Well, of course, once upon a time, once upon a time, employers, there was a period, a, a brief period in the 19th century, going through the sort of early parts of the Industrial Revolution, when some employers actually did practice sort of benevolent, benevolent paternalistic capitalism, and they would build housing for their workers, houses, they would build schools it. for them, they would do social yeah. clubs for all the football clubs, most most of the football clubs in our football league came from those kind of yes, social worker clubs of the yeah. workers, didn't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so we're going full circle, happens, maybe. Wow, the same thing happens in China, you know, where it seems ludicrous to us, but people who work at, let's say, Foxconn, manufactured Apple products, live on site. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, not I'm not trying to say any of this is necessarily good or bad. No, 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 I understand. That's a whole new definition of working but, from home then, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, flipping heck, yeah. But even now, people demanding that working from home is what they expect. Hmm. So, so hmm. then you've got this thing of, let, let's say you work for, you know, Wiltshire County Council. Do you need to live in Wiltshire to work for the council? Because previously no, you, you, you did because you worked there. Yeah, but now you can work wherever you can be, or you ought to be able to work where you can be most productive. But I, I wanted, we've, we've, gosh, this, this is romping away with us, Scott, which I knew it would because it's a cracking topic. So thank you for, thank you for that. Um, where, one of the challenges of this, this whole, if we go back to the relatively simple things that we touched on at the beginning, or you touched on at the beginning about the move to hybrid working, the move to flexible working, it's one of the risks of that, that actually, whilst we could initially think it's actually very democratizing of our forces in that people could take that example you've just done, you know, could work anywhere. Um, can it also, though, end up um, disadvantaging certain groups of, of employees? I mean, so, for example, initially, working from home, working flexibly, oh, this is great for people with caring responsibilities. Yes. Mm. But what we are now finding is that there is some evidence to suggest that those people are then being marginalised and sidelined. So these, these things bring big challenges too, don't they? They do. And I, I, I don't think many managers are ready for managing people so remotely, so long, so sporadically in terms of how often people are together, but also marrying the the fact that some are loving this and some are not loving this. In fact, it's yeah. making things worse for them. 
So something that, so I used to be a church minister and as a result, I learned a series of pastoral skills that I used to look after the people around me. Mm -hmm. And as a consultant now, I use those pastoral skills and I often end end up being able to help my clients in ways that perhaps many others don't think to because it's just the way I've been trained. Mm -hmm. What I recognize is many managers have not had that pastoral training. We just don't, right? It's just not a thing we do. And Mm. yet the need for managers to be, to supply some low level pastoral care that shouldn't come from HR because it it doesn't need to go there. It's that, that's an escalation. It's actually just about recognizing my team needs me to look after them. And this again is part of that featureization is mm-hmm. yeah. part of the feature of my workplace is that they are considering my work and my life are dovetailing and impacting because most people actually perhaps don't think about that themselves until they crash. But what's quite interesting about that, you're absolutely right, um, is of course that many managers, especially um, relatively uh, low-level managers, team leaders, project leaders, whatever, who are maybe a bit further down the old hierarchical pecking order. Not only do they struggle to apply that kind of those pastoral skills to their people, they're not experiencing the benefit of those pastoral skills from their own bosses, are they? No, no. Well, and uh, yeah. Herein lies the rub, isn't it? That yeah, I think yeah, the, 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 the great well, the greatest influence on what engages someone is what is how engaged their manager is, and the way in which their manager engages them. Mm. And for many people, that is not a terribly good example for them to follow or mirror to others. Yeah, um, which yeah. is why you know engagement can have a bottom-up effect but most fundamentally it is a systemic thing that needs to run through an organization from the top of it um as much as i wish it wasn't the case that's it isn't it yeah i mean and a plug there for enabler number two of the four enablers of employee engagement identified by david clark in their original report the vital role of line managers in in coaching and stretching their people and encouraging them to be their best and setting targets and and generally supporting them and sharing the credit and shouldering the blame and developing them as in their professions and 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 it's it's a huge job and it's one oh, of the biggest responsibilities there is. Um, so do you think, would you say, Scott, that one of the biggest challenges um, that businesses face is actually one of the, one of the biggest things they, they should focus on is actually better equipping the, the people within their organisations who have responsibility for others to be able to do that job better? I mean, if we, if we all just focused on nothing but that, would, there be, would that be a really, really good thing to do i think you'd agree uh, i think most people who listen to this would also agree who is it i think um tom peters you know the job of a manager is chief performance coach mm. mm-hmm. um at, at which you recognize is if you're a manager you're a you're a coach you're a community leader you, you're a pastor you, these are not ways that we're accustomed to thinking of people 
uh, thinking of ourselves, thinking of, of these roles. But increasingly, this is going to be more and more important as people are more disparate and so forth. Mm. So you're, you know, the job of a manager to engage people that aren't engaged with each other is going to be really, really important. So, yeah, the, so, you know, one thing that I think of is, well, what will change about employee engagement? Okay, we'll arrange your things, but what won't change? That. <laughs> you know, good managers mm. have always been the ones that bring clarity. Yeah, yeah. and whether you see them, whether you're actually standing next to them physically or staring at them through a a Teams screen or Zoom screen or whatever. So we've got just five minutes left, Scott, and and you just touched on there about what what will change. And you've already identified at the start of this that, you know, we romped through a decade of change in the blink of an eye in 2020. Yeah. More than a decade of change in the blink of an eye. So... Let's fast forward to the end of this decade and where, oh, do, wow. you, yeah. where do you see employee engagement? Um, where do you want it to be and where do you imagine it will be? I hope that employee engagement just, is, just becomes part of management and it's not something mm-hmm. we have to think of as this kind of strange annexed concept yeah um i would like to see that you know people talk about you know you you and i both as people who consult people in this area someone will say i need to increase employee engagement and and i'm like well that's a management issue you've got a management issue no we don't we have an engagement issue well no no you have a management issue engagement is a part of that you have a leadership and management issue i think that's something that i would like to see and i hope to see um, yeah. We are going to see people, uh, well, we're going to continue to see more traditionally public services being handled by private companies, which means that government, government uh, councils are just going to be facilitators of private services. Um, governments are going to be that increasingly. That's going to be scary because we're going to have yeah. to squeeze of private organizations on stuff that traditionally we thought of as being public and kind of shared and owned by all of us, mm-hmm. um, which in turn is then going to mean that people are going to, well, the market will be a bit more competitive, um, but it will, but I think there's going to be increasingly not room for those that can't become part of an effective team. Yeah. So, so there's this sense, of, yeah. Yeah, no, go on, carry on. Sorry, I talked to you. Well, there's just, with the thought of AI replacing jobs and things like this, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the advantage that humans have is going to be those human skills, those human elements, and those that can't get on board with that, I just get, I get a bit worried for them, those yeah. that can't be effective as a team. Um, right. You know, so you see you those say accounts- if we... Say if we just put a sort of wrap up and say, in your view, then Scott, for those people listening to this who hopefully haven't been terrified out of their wits at, at what we've been discussing, um, and actually yeah. see it as an opportunity. Um, we've it's we're in 2022. We've got you know literally just begun 2022. We've got eight eight full years pretty much until the end of the decade. What do we really need to be focusing on getting right? most immediately in in your view this is really out of left field but build teams like the military 
Okay. Build really great, effective teams mm-hmm. that are close and they operate well and they're highly engaged rather mm-hmm. than, you know what it's like, we all do, teams where stuff rambles on from one meeting to the next, never being solved, mm-hmm. organizations yeah. inch forward. No, yeah. we've got to think of ourselves as people on a mission, making things happen. We need to mm-hmm. learn some stuff from the startup world, moving fast, breaking things, testing mm-hmm. things out. Talking about lean and agile, not just as buzzwords, but actually adopting some of those methods, principles, I think. Mm-hmm. And then those leaders being like military leaders who are performance coaches, they care mm-hmm. about the team. They're mm. thinking deeply around where people's best roles are. Teams that yeah. are well practiced. You know, and, and bear in mind, an A team doesn't need to be made of A players. Um, mm. I've always delighted in taking C players, but making an A team out of them. Yeah, yeah, that's a real achievement, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to say to you as well, and I think it's important because I come from a, a military family background, and people have a misconception that when you talk about military teams, it's about shouting and just telling people what to do Mm. and that kind of Alan Sugar approach to to leadership and management as evidenced in The Apprentice, you know, it's all that. And of course, actually anyone who's ever been on, involved in those fields knows that that is utterly not the way that it is done um, in the, in the best, in the best military teams. Um, So yeah, you're right. Performance coaching to get the very best from your people. Lovely. Scott, thank Thanks, you so Joe. much. It's been great and very, very thought provoking. Lots to think about. So thank you very much. Thank you for plugging our show, um, our event on Friday as well. Um, so just go to the uh, engagementsuccess.org if you want to find out more about that or, or connect with me or Scott on LinkedIn and we'll um, be happy to, to share the link. And don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at any time. Again, just visit engagementsuccess.org. And if you want to get involved in the movement, we are always looking for volunteers um, with a very limited amount of time available or lots of time entirely up to you but get in touch at uh, engagementsuccess.org if you want to find out more and we'll be back here same time next week thank you very much for listening and goodbye engage for success radio raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work